0: Hi, everyone. Radhika Jones here, editor-in-chief of Vanity Fair. With award season in full swing, there's no better time to become a Vanity Fair subscriber. Let our editors take you behind the scenes of this year's nominated films, from prestige indies to major blockbusters, plus exclusive coverage of Hollywood's biggest events. Visit VanityFair.com today and save 10% on a yearly subscription for a limited time with promo code OSCARS. That's VanityFair.com. Promo code OSCARS for 10% off a year of insights and access you won't find anywhere else. Subscribe today while this offer lasts through March 31st, 2024. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at
1: Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary.
2: Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the podcast that... Reminds you that award season is, in fact, a year round affair. I'm Mike Hogan, digital director of Vanity Fair. I'm here with our film critic, Richard Lawson. Hello. And patched in from the Bay Area, our senior Hollywood writer, Joanna Robinson. Hello. We have a very exciting uh, episode lined up today. We're going to talk about, first of all, Ghostbusters. I don't know if this is an awards uh, movie, but Richard is going to tell us. He, he's seen it. Mm-hmm. We're also going to talk a little bit about the controversy and the numbskull ghost bros uh, <laughs> who have been complaining about their childhood memories being ruined or something. And exactly. then we're going to have a big nasty argument about swiss army man which richard hated and joanna says is her favorite movie of the year so far <laughs> uh and then we're going to talk about the emmys because the nominations are coming out thursday of this week and we have predictions for you So let's start with the ghost bros. Can somebody explain to me what the hell, why these people are upset and what their problem is?
1: Well, I think that these are people who have sort of draped a flag of nostalgia over something that's actually a lot more sinister. You know, they're, they're claiming that, no, it's not that it's women who are, you know, replacing the men in the movie. We just don't want this tr- treasured, you know, movie from our childhood, Ghostbusters, remade. That's all it is. Right. Except these people did not do this for Jurassic Park when that was essentially rebooted. Right. They, you know, they don't do it for, a, they haven't done it for a myriad other movies that have gotten almost the same treatment, except for the fact that. This one has women in the lead right. roles.
2: So, Joanna, we're not buying that it just happens to be the one being remade with women that, that is the most sacred 80s comedy ever created?
0: <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't buy – I buy that this is an important film to people. When, But when I meet someone on the street, which I literally have, and see him clutch his chest and tell me how important Ghostbusters was to him as a child, I, I I'm not buying it. I'm not buying that this is the hill that, that they have to die on. So,
2: How old are these people that, you're, that, that we're talking about? Like, did they actually see it in the theater? I'm just finding it hard to imagine a person my age, and I went to see it when I was nine years old, and it was possibly the most important thing that had ever happened to me at that time. <laughs> but it's just hard to imagine a 41-year-old out in the street complaining about this
0: for me i'm the mostly it's been people like in their mid 30s slightly younger than you so i don't know if it's like an important vhs situation for them but um yeah this this seems to that seems to be the demographic i don't think it goes much younger than that. i don't think you're seeing a lot of people in their 20s really uh clinging to this so
1: (laughs) yeah and i guess my question is like for for the movie and having seen it like there is that generational gap where, um, you know, like obviously the movie makes a lot of plays for nostalgia. They have cameos from the surviving cast members minus Rick Moranis, a lot of allusions to the old uh, movies, you know. So that's in, in 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 theory in service to the older fans, but like then you have these younger fans, Joanna, who you're talking about, like, who like are or, or younger viewers who aren't really familiar with the property and. And I, I just wonder if the movie quite does enough for them, if it quite justifies itself as its own sort of standalone thing. And I think that'll be interesting to see. Um, I think there's a lot in the movie that is appealing to kids. And it's one of these kind of many quadrant movies, you know, where yeah. it, there's goofy special effects and some sort of like slime humor and stuff like that, that like little ones will will, will enjoy but i am i'll be curious to see if it if it captures the same sort of you know zeitgeisty moment that the the original did at its time with children um because i feel like that's the movie's biggest bet right now like the, the new the new version like i feel like their best chance of like being a, a huge success is if they're you know forget the older fans forget that for let's just get the kids i think that you know that's the, its best kind of opportunity to make its mark
2: which is different from what the force awakens did right force awakens yeah. actually like effectively both did the nostalgia thing i mean you know right. different people differ but basically a lot of people were happy older people were happy with the nostalgia and younger people were like holy cow i have a star
1: wars movie right yeah Yeah. no i think so and i think that the force awakens proves how hard that is to do um because it's like it's such a rare thing that you could bring back old cast members and it's not sort of depressing. Like it, And it's not in The Force Awakens. Like like Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher, they're not sort of like, you know, gnarled husks of what they used to be. Right. They're still like forceful <laughs> presences on screen. Like, And yeah. so that's enough for the fans of, of old. And then for the fans of new, there's plenty in that movie. And they very smartly um, honor the old class and bring a new class in and Ghostbusters doesn't do that and doesn't really have a mandate to do that they have far Although less... they
2: tried to do that right like they well, yeah. wanted to bring back Bill Murray who decided not well, to do
1: Well well no I mean he does he's well that's the thing is they're in it but they're not playing their original characters
0: aren't they like cab driver cameos and Dan stuff Akron like Dan Akron is a
1: cab driver Bill Murray is a skeptic who you see in one scene he's on New York 1 being interviewed by Pat Kiernan who Reader, uh, <laughs> listeners outside of New York won't really know who that is but um, kind of love Pat Kiernan but he's you know he's in every fucking movie <laughs> basically <Yeah. laughs> uh, playing the new he's going to get the Irving Thalberg <laughs> award <laughs> right he's been cameos. in more movies than like Warren Beatty I don't right. know yeah. but um you know, so they come back, but they're not—they're not forced to kind of relive their old characters. You know, so the, the, the Ghostbusters is is doing it less than the Force Awakens, certainly, but there is still this kind of creak of like, like it—it—I I don't know—it doesn't work for me at all the way that Star Wars did.
2: All right, so let's come back to that in one second. So, Joanna, given this whole Ghost Bros silliness, <laughs> how much have you been, or are you rooting for Ghostbusters to be a movie that you love, the new Ghostbusters?
0: It's so it's so at odds with my normal attitude towards reboots, which is why please don't. I was hugely anti Jurassic World because I love Jurassic Park, not to the point where I was you know downvoting it weeks early on IMDb or making caustic YouTube videos about it, but you know I was generally opposed to touching that thing which uh, I loved as a child. But with Ghostbusters, I mean, I will I will say at least. The couple things that I feel, I haven't seen it yet. I'm seeing it on Thursday with the unwashed masses, but like the couple things that I'm rooting for is it. To be fine, which is, I know it didn't work for Richard, but I think generally the consensus, the critical consensus is like B plus with a few people who, who it didn't work for at all, like Richard and a couple other notable critics. And B plus, I think is perfectly fine by me. I was not rooting for it to blow the roof off of the summer. I just wanted it to not be an abject failure because that felt like it uh, confirmed the ghost Bro theory, but uh, it, it, it is frustrating that the the Ghost thoughts, or even the the DC fans who were rooting for Batman v Superman and accusing critics who didn't like it of being paid by Marvel. All of that, all of these external factors. Really, I don't know. I, I think it's it's. To the detriment of of our film critical, or especially our online film critical community, to give them too much air. You know, I think, like, if we can I, I do our best to just see these films and take them as they are and not say, suck it, ghost bro haters. The Ghostbusters yeah. is actually good, which is a sentiment I'm seeing everywhere. Like, I don't know how useful that is, I you know, because it makes me worry that people aren't giving their clear eyed opinion of, of this film, you
2: know? Okay, so keeping in mind that I'm actually doing exactly what you're saying we should stop doing, how much <laughs> money does this movie need to make to shut the ghost Bros up completely that's my question because it doesn't really matter
1: if a blockbuster is critically acclaimed with all due respect right my, my friends I, well, I don't think anything will shut them up I think I think they'll always <laughs> no, I think yeah. they'll always find and either if it does well they'll be like, well yeah but plenty of bad movies do well you know like right um but or if it it gets a lot of you know critical acclaim but does just okay then 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 they'll have that justification for that you know critics are out of touch or elitist or they're just kind of working on a feminist agenda whatever you know they're always going to find you know water finds its level and these people just like will (laughs) find that you know and so i think that like you joanna's i think you're i think you're entirely right like we kind of just have to be like all right they exist it's a pro it's they are what they are Let's just try to continue on with the cultural conversation and acknowledge that they exist, but not really pin too much on them either way. And, I, you know, I mentioned in my review that, of course, I went in wanting to love the movie to prove right. these you to that. idiots wrong. Yeah, I, I didn't. And I, but I, I didn't I didn't not like it because of the reasons they don't like it or preemptively don't like it. You know, so I was disappointed in that respect. But I, you know, I, I don't think that, that we can do anything to come to to really Combat them. I think that we just the movie has to find a way to exist on its own, separate of them.
0: Yeah, and, and to be clear, I mean the utopia I described, where we don't pay attention to the worst element of the internet, is I mean that's a fool's errand. Like, there's no way any of us are going into Ghostbusters without this cloud hanging over it, and that's too bad because you know Paul Feig is doing what Paul fig has been doing which is give women these bigger and bigger budget platforms to do comedy uh, you know with mixed success i loved i loved spy i liked heat uh i loved bridesmaid you know so but all of those movies got to exist without the burden of expectation that this one has so
2: yeah okay well speaking of burden of expectations the original Ghostbusters was actually nominated for two Oscars, and we're going to revisit the uh, its nomination for Best Original Song. Any chance that this Ghostbusters could uh, get any Oscar nominations, Richard? Having seen it, what do you think?
1: Um, oh boy, that, that I think that would be a hard sell for anything, including special effects. I mean, the special effects don't look bad, but I mm-hmm. mean that would be there. Obviously, I think the 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 most likely. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, well, no, that's not true. There might be like a sound mixing or editing thing that I'm just not hearing. Right but beyond that no i don't think so i don't think it's i don't think it's a rogue best screenplay the way The Bridesmaids was like i don't i don't i don't see this movie doing that it's um i, I just don't think it's strong enough
0: it's certainly certainly not that fallout boy song
1: oh, right? word, no, no. <laughs> the, the 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 fallout boy re- uh, version of the famous ghostbusters theme which yeah. they only sort of intermittently play in the movie it's it never quite gets a, a full kind of showcase so i i want people to go
2: read your review mm-hmm. but but just for here, one takeaway from your
1: review: what's what's the what's the top thing or the the quick? Um, I would say that they seem so overly cautious about both doing fan service to the old movie and bringing in new fans that they kind of forget to make a movie. Right. It, right. They just it, they just get kind of lost in all of these expectations and 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 they don't do. Exactly what Paul Feig and Kristen Wiig and Melissa McCarthy have done so beautifully in other movies, which is be loose and weird and funny and let these two really talented actresses just show their stuff. Right. They kind of hamper them. They play the two most boring characters in the movie.
2: Yeah.
1: Kristen Wiig and Melissa McCarthy. It's crazy. Yeah.
0: I've heard that Kate McKinnon is like the breakout of this film. Would you agree with that? Or? Um,
1: I think that I would agree with the consensus that she is. I don't like the performance.
2: Okay. All right. So we all have to go see it and form our own opinions. There's definitely a a, a range of opinions on this film. And speaking of ranges of opinions, I'm really going for the segues today, guys. That's good. Speaking of ranges (laughs) of opinions, let's talk about Swiss Army Man, which I just saw. I needed you to help me get home. Okay, buddy?
0: Okay, buddy.
1: (laughs) (laughs)
2: hallucinating from starvation came out at sundance this year had a very divisive reaction a couple people walked out Uh, more than a couple okay a number of people (laughs) a group of people walked out the very first thing that happens before the credits even roll is that paul dano rides daniel radcliffe's dead farting body like a jet ski across the ocean which is definitely unusual. So, so what I love about this is that Joanna has been talking about how it's her. She's seen it twice. It's her favorite movie of the year. I know Richard was was at Sundance and and found it less than amazing. So, hmm, who am I going to start with? Let's start with Joanna. <laughs> <laughs> Sell sell us on on Swiss Army Man. Sell our listeners on Swiss Army Man.
0: Sure. Okay. So you know if you if you've managed to avoid any information so far, uh, this is a film where Paul Dano plays a sort of hapless, hopeless castaway who, like Tom Hanks, discovers a volleyball, discovers Daniel Radcliffe's dead body, and uh, yes, does ride it to relative safety. But it's sort of about him trekking home with only this dead body as a companion, and the body sort of takes on magical properties and does some talking. Sounds, I mean, when I heard at Sundance that Dana Radcliffe was in a farting corpse movie, I said, that's the last thing I want to see. I don't want to see it. Fart <laughs> jokes are not for me. This, I am not interested in this at all. Uh, and yeah, and it did get it got mixed reviews. I heard like half the theater walked out uh, of the premiere. And...
2: It's like anti-festival fever. It's like the opposite of the, the, <laughs> the, the altitude made everyone angry. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay
0: so i um, but then i I saw the trailer for it, and you know a twenty four has uh sort of earned my trust in general, and so I thought I'd give it a whirl, and I just i went with some friends, we loved it, the whole theater loved it, everyone was laughing, and I sort of was emotionally stirred by it because I think it has a lot to do with loneliness and isolation and self-acceptance and self-loathing and all all of this stuff. And it has like a really beautiful middle part that goes almost Michelle Gondry, like very unexpected. And yeah, and I loved it so much that I saw it again. I've been listening to the soundtrack nonstop, which is all acapella featuring, yes, Daniel Radcliffe and Paul Dano on it. The soundtrack has this weird relationship with the film where a character will start sort of absentmindedly singing and then it gets wrapped into the soundtrack. I just thought it was really creative, really beautiful. And I know you guys were talking about The Lobster a couple of weeks ago as this sort of surprise indie hit. And I, you know, Swiss Army Man is not making as much money as The Lobster, but it does have this compelling word of mouth quality. And I think as we continue to need antidotes for these summer blockbusters, which are not quite getting us there, I think this is a really great option for people. So,
2: And and before I go to Richard, Joanna, do you think this might be a case where the sort of bad word out of Sundance helped your enjoyment of it because you were looking, you were thinking it was going to be this crass thing and it ends up being this sort of surprisingly sort of sensitive movie?
0: Possibly. Yeah. Uh, um, I think, yeah, I went in with rock bottom expectations and I think that always helps. Um, Also the, the directors who go by the quasi, I rolled my eyes when I saw this in the opening credits that they go by the Daniels, but it's Daniel Scheinert and Daniel Kwan. uh, And they are so creative. And I went back and watched, you know, all their music videos and short films. And I just think that they are quite visually brilliant and have some uh, great films in, in them for the future. I hope so.
2: All right, now let's just rewind to January. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where were you? What were you? Where where were you coming from? How much oh. had you had to drink the night before?
1: I was actually in a good, like hangover-free <laughs> state. I will say, um, you know, and I had, but I saw a Swiss Army Man at the tail end of a kind of rough day of screenings, um, which sometimes you get at Sundance. Yeah, you know, just nothing works that day. The screening started kind of late. It was the premiere, and the Daniels plural came out before the movie started and we're like alright can we have everyone stand up and, and they did like a, a calisthenics thing and I was like oh fuck this I, I was like <laughs> they, have, oh, they lost yeah. me right no, there no. <laughs> um, but um <laughs> I hated the movie so much. And I I, I actually mentioned on this podcast in January I, when I called in from, from Utah. Yeah. I was like, I, I saw a movie and I didn't say what movie. But I, I did. I saw the movie and I texted Katie walking back to our Airbnb. I, I was like, I don't think I like movies anymore. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> because I and I think that was honestly a, a reaction both to the movie, which I find twee and ridiculous and sort of a, a a sentimentalization of um a creepy stalker <laughs> I, I was I think I was half reacting to that and half reacting to the to the to the the you know rapturous response from some some of the audience I was like I just don't understand like am I seeing movies the right way anymore because like I don't I don't understand why people like this I think it's been interesting that I would say that the reaction at Sundance was half negative like mine and half positive mm-hmm. the reaction now that the movie's out and and audiences are seeing it and critics are kind of reassessing it I feel like has been like resoundingly positive yeah which I'm surprised about and that's a rare kind of instance of something at Sundance you know getting certainly a lot of buzz, but not necessarily being beloved, then kind of reinventing itself um, for its actual release, which I you know as much as I don't like this movie, I think that's a nice that that can happen is good, yeah, know, right, and
0: that usually it can, it's the reverse right that the shine the sundance oh, shine doesn't translate the to audio audience the Girl, Girl, for it's
2: yeah almost yeah. always <laughs> the reverse I feel it's like. almost always. well yeah. or or at least let's say it's hard for the sundance it's hard to track how a movie will actually hit real audiences based on how it does in Sundance because often the things that come out of Sundance you go when was this at Sundance
1: like I was there (laughs) I never heard about this movie (laughs) right right and all of a sudden it's a thing right yeah yeah. Um, no and I will say I don't want to I don't want to you know go too hard on the movie but I I, I think that for me where other people maybe Joanna included see a sort of fun inventiveness I see and or you see Joanna maybe a Michelle Gondry homage I see complete fucking theft. I think that this movie mm. really is heavily borrowing from other directors in a way that doesn't feel referential. I feel like they're kind of yeah. pretending that it's their thing. It's very Michelle Gondry. It's, there's a kind of Kaufman-esque vibe to it. It's, you know... Yeah, there's a there's and so a tra- I,
0: and and I felt that way about me, Earl and Dying Girl, like yeah. I, that movie did not work for me at all. And I felt like that was theft. So I, like, I wonder how much we can tolerate that kind of heavy borrowing. If the emotional message lands with us, do you know, right. like, yeah. if that makes us more tolerant of technique that might be lifted? Yeah.
2: Well, now you're making me think about Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which there's something there, right? Yeah, Similar, yeah. but yeah, but then, yeah, definitely. Um, but because because in the in the write up for the movie, the marketing stuff, they're saying it's Castaway meets Weekend and Bernies, which I just think is very misleading. It's not mm-hmm. tonally, oh, it's, not. it's nothing yeah. like those things. <laughs> no. To me, it was like where the wild things are mm-hmm. meet. Beast of the Southern Wild, right? Sure. So, yeah, yeah. and mm-hmm. I hated the first of those two movies, and I <laughs> loved the second yeah. one. Yeah. So it's like there's a twee that works for me, but I think mm-hmm. I think you know at the end of the day I'm right in between you guys mm-hmm. because on the one hand I was like, all right, this movie doesn't really like actually work. Yeah. And but I'm I was. I was amused by it versus being like enraged. by
1: it. Yeah. And I wonder, I mean, I I really should see it again, because, again, you know, I saw it again at the end of a long screening day in high altitude was sort of in a bad mood because of the two previous movies I'd seen. Like, so I, I was not my mind was not the most open, but there's something about this particularly male. I mean, you know, if we want to get into the actual sort of plot of the movie which I don't want to spoil anything but like it it is revealed pretty early on that there's a girl that that Paul Dano's character is in love with or infatuated with and all we get from her is that he saw her in a bus and it's like oh so she's just like some pretty girl and now we're supposed to be emotionally moved by that when it's kind of just creepy and gross I don't know
0: for me, my interpretation, and I don't want to spoil it too much, but like we do meet the girls played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead. And I think her existence at the end of the film goes a long way towards redeeming it from that sort of manic pixie mm-hmm. dream stalker situation, <laughs> right. because she's very real and very much rejects everything that's going on. And um I guess that is spoilery. Sorry. But um the, the thing to me is that, I didn't feel emotionally invested in in Mary Elizabeth Winstead and their her connection to him, but more his his isolation and the fact that the most he's connected with someone is just someone he's seen on, on a bus and stalked their Instagram profile. Like that just that was profoundly sad to me. And I think pa- Paul Dano does a really good job with these borderline creepy. And for you, I guess it went well into creepy territory, but I'd say towing <laughs> the line of creepy characters. I think he's just masterful at that. That sort of thing. So. But he
1: doesn't just stalk her Instagram. He lives in her backyard. I mean, it's a, he, it, it's it's I don't creepy, he I and mean, he's there. Fu- I, and we're supposed to feel moved by this, like, oh, isn't it so hard to be a young unseen white guy who like loves a girl he's never even talked to because that's all that you know. He just sees a woman; it doesn't he doesn't have, he doesn't know anything about her personality or anything. And where I'm, I just don't understand being moved by it. It just feels so. It feels like kind of like everything that we, uh, you know, associate with like bad online culture with men that like we're just now celebrating because it's put in a sort of nice package of a of a little indie movie. I don't know. Maybe no, no and that's crazy. so,
0: it's so interesting to me because I've heard a lot of people talk about this movie as sort of a very, like a specifically masculine kind of isolation. And I just didn't feel that, like as, yeah. as a woman, like I associated with that, with that isolation. It didn't feel masculine to me the way that like the, I mean, and especially since Dano and his you know, that his girlfriend wrote, I think, the ultimate explosive Man Pixie Dream girl movie, which is Ruby Sparks, like that just destroys that notion of the cute girl who redeems the lonely, nerdy guy. Like, I don't think Dano buys into that at all. And I think he's actually kind of actively working against that in this movie. But that's, I mean, I, and I didn't get the sense that he was living in her backyard, but we can debate that
1: <laughs> I, I might be remembering that wrong. But.
2: <laughs> no, but I think it's it's at least suggested well, – Right? Anyway, yeah, we well, can't we can't it's have like this we'll have to that have he's, this conversation offline if we don't want to spoil okay, yeah, yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh yeah. I will say that Daniel Radcliffe and plus like weird concept dead body that does like cool shit is a little bit like Colin Farrell plus weird concept you have to find a mate or you get turned into an animal. Like mm-hmm. is this like A24 the distributor of both of those films is clearly onto something here right like let's get the weirdest concept we can get and the biggest kind of movie star outside their their comfort zone right i mean these these are two movies that are that people are watching humans are watching them in the
1: world i think the important thing about the concept uh, and execution of the lobster and the concept and execution of swiss army man and as much as i don't like swiss army man that is a fully realized like they commit you know and and it 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 it, it, that movie really is itself and as it intends yeah. to be in and the, the performances well. are really oh, the two Ratcliffe of them are amazing fantastic Paul yeah. Dano's always great you know mm-hmm. yeah so i think that you're right mike like i think there is um you know it's not that it's gimmicky neither of those movies are gimmick exactly but they do have these particular hooks that A24 noticed and so you know were attracted to the movies and picked them up and you know distributed them but also have marketed really well
2: well they're both kind of Joanna they're both sort of allegories for loneliness aren't they both of these movies oh
0: yeah certainly and and divisive I I also saw The Lobster twice in theaters and in both times people walked out of those those screenings as well I've heard a lot of stories more stories actually people walking like normal quote-unquote normal moviegoers walking out of the lobster than walking out of Swiss Army Man. I heard like, you know, there's a lot of discomfort with disarmy, Swiss Army Man, especially, I mean, like the farting is... It's a, a lot. G- ...a consistent theme.
1: We haven't mentioned the <laughs> erections, by the way. But
2: yeah, the erections have not come up in the press as much, but they are even more disturbing, I would say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah
0: the uh, the animatronic well if you've seen the Daniels uh, video for Turn Down for What they are fond of an animatronic penis but uh, <laughs> yeah there's this there's this discomfort with the farting and then I think I was listening to Paul Dano and Mark Mary's podcast and he was talking about how their their mission was that the first fart would make you laugh at the film the last fart would make you cry and I don't know that it like <laughs> I don't know that it made that many people cry even me who loved the film but it does it does mean something by the end or at least to me if you buy into the film then the final fart means something and uh that that's that's a sentence i never thought i'd say
1: so So you think this is a contender for best fart at the oscars Uh,
0: definitely for sure (laughs)
2: all right real quick earnestly i have to ask this question is what's the oscar prospects here anything is could daniel radcliffe pull a best supporting here
0: He's so – I mean, his physicality is amazing. Yeah. Like, he's yeah. so well, good. Actors, actors might watch this
2: and go, I I wouldn't know how to do that, you know? Sure.
0: I think it's sort of like what Alicia Vikander did in Ex Machina, heavily helped by, you know, CG, but just sort of this kind of astonishing, riveting physical performance. No, I don't think he has a shot at Best <laughs> Supporting Actor, but I am consistently impressed with Daniel Radcliffe is doing post-Potter. And uh, I would say maybe Best Score – the score yeah. is really yeah. interesting. I think that's a good point, Joanna.
1: and 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 because it's this a cappella thing, it has that kind of I- inventive. I I would say maybe production design too, if anything mm-hmm. else, like because it, it is a very sort of intricately visually realized wor- world. But I don't know. I think that uh, I think that a 24s best hopes for this is like a kind of sleeper financial success beyond yeah. kind of a word. Well, it's thing. at two point two million, I think, already. So yeah. it's
2: uh, it's doing well,
1: and I I think it'll have a long life, like on VOD, right? You know. Although, As, it's kind of p- makes its way around whether anybody,
2: anybody makes any money off that well there's you know, <laughs> if <version. laughs>
1: exactly. it hadn't
0: been for cotton i Joe I'd be married a long time ago where did you come from where did you go where did to come.
2: Let's talk about the Emmys, which are nominations going to be announced on Thursday. Mm-hmm. Richard, you and Hillary Busis, our Hollywood editor, uh, have gone through and done some predictions on yep. DF.com. So yep. please,
1: everybody, check them out. And but don't you know? Don't don't hold them. This, to these it. are not legally binding, but <laughs> it's just best guesses. Well, uh, let's talk.
2: What let's talk about first of all. I don't know what's the what are the categories that are jumping out to you?
1: Well, I think that there are. You know, I think as this TV landscape that we're forever sort of talking about online and offline evolves, increasingly this limited series category is where it's at. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, Mm -hmm. this year, because we have people versus OJ Simpson in that category, um, but also American crime and other good things. So, I think that that's kind of where I'm most interested. Yeah. But, all, but which is funny because it doesn't really feel like a horse race. It's like The People versus O.J. Simpson is going to win that best limited series. Yes. Sarah Paulson is going to win best actress in a TV movie slash limited series. They've they've combined the acting categories there, but separated. So, you have a TV movie category and a miniseries category okay. basically now. Uh-huh. Um, so, I think that's really interesting because, you know, Owen oh, Fargo is included in that because it's an anthology series and the seasons aren't linked necessarily you know so i think that as tv sort of changes and we maybe looked more to a british model like that the the most fertile stuff is there i mean people versus oj simpson Fargo, Roots, American Crime, The Night Manager. I mean, th- yeah. th- these are the ones that I think are going to be nominated. And then I'm leaving out Show Me a Hero, which was David Simon's fascinating fabulous HBO miniseries from last fall. Like this is a really strong category yeah. increasingly. So I think that'll be interesting just to see how much focus that that gets on Emmy night, you know, like because yeah. it used to be kind of like the the filler. Right. They'd be like, "Oh, and, and then Helen Mirren was in some movie that you never no one ever saw the right. miniseries, no one right. saw. And now, now it's the it's main like,
2: event. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, Joanna, what's jumping out at you?
0: Uh, for me, I think the big story is Veep because it uh, had it did so well last year. Julia Louis Dreyfus won, Tony Hale won, Veep won for best comedy. You know, beating, knocking out Modern Family. But I think everyone was worried this year with Armando Anucci leaving, the showrunner leaving, that it would sort of degrade in quality, but. Uh, the consensus is Veep is as good as ever, if not better. And I think it has the strongest uh, chance in all these categories. And that's, that's just great news because that was a great show that I did not want to see go downhill. I'd rather see it end than go downhill. So that's, a, that's big news to me. And then the other, I mean, I agree with Richard the, that the limited series is, is exactly where it's at. But the question is, is this another year for Game of Thrones? Like it was a big year, like it was last year. And it, it sort of seems like why would wouldn't it be since it's all anyone right. wants to talk about? Yeah, I think with a few exceptions, like Juliana Margulies and her her last season of The Good Wife, you know, might get her a statue. But I think we're going to see a lot of Game of Thrones stuff happening. What's interesting is that the episodes that they put up. They they when they put forward their you know what they wanted the Television Academy to look at it's Battle of the Bastards episode nine which you know I'm a lone dissenter and thinking it's not their strongest the season I think they should have put up the finale but you know that's what they put their chips in on and so if the, if the Emmy voters are as dazzled by spectacle um, as as most other people then I think it's going to be another year for them so
1: Jimena, do you think that um, I have this kind of inclination that Lena Headey um, who's been nominated twice before uh, for supporting actress in a drama? Um, you know she plays Cersei on Game of Thrones. Um, I feel like this because of that final episode, even though it's not the one in consideration or whatever. Like because of that final episode where Cersei gets her grand, horrifying revenge on all of King's Landing. Essentially, um, do you think that she? Well, she'll probably get nominated, right? But do you think there's a chance she could win?
0: I do I actually thought she was going to win last year cuz she had that big walk of walk of shame oh, episode. Shame. I don't really? know. That would have been the time. I don't yeah. know if that was because, you know, it was CG, like her face on someone else's body that people didn't really go for it or mm. what, but I, I was very surprised when Dinklage won over Lena Headey last year. I I would definitely root for her this year. I thought she was phenomenal in that final episode.
2: If Battle of the Bastards is the episode, then is there a chance Kit Harington could get nominated? Because he's freaking amazing in that episode. There, I actually someone... adored that episode, so yeah. I'm sorry, I watched it twice. And I no, like, no. <laughs> But, uh, but I mean, he is so, in that episode, you suddenly think, now I know why I've been watching this little guy for <laughs> five years, you know, or six years.
1: Some of us have been, have been watching him for other reasons. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> no, I think you're right. And I think there, there are definitely, uh, I didn't put him on our predictions post on VF.com, but um, there are certainly people on Gold Derby who are predicting that Kid Harrington will get a nomination, which is yeah. not before, I don't think. I think that would be his first. Yeah. Um, which the, would be interesting. I think
2: he was really good this season, yeah. in a way, yeah. you know, and I don't know whether it's just the sort of the the whole concept of like whether he changed his approach after being brought back from the dead or whether it was the fact that we thought we lost him and we got him back sorry if i'm spoiling it for anybody but come on no
1: i mean come on. it was on. that yeah.
0: haircut i think it was the man bun that really sort of you pull the hair back from his face and you can really see oh, him emoting this day. year yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's
2: the man bun award yep uh, <laughs> no, I okay. mean,
0: I mean, when your other options are like Paul Giamatti and Billions, like there's that weird Showtime effect, which I think we've talked here and elsewhere of like, I don't know who watches these shows, but they're always nominated. Billions, Ray Donovan, that sort of stuff. But I, I would much rather see an acting award for Kit Harington than, I mean, bless Paul Giamatti in everything that he does, but Billions did not work for me on any level. So, Yeah.
2: And then if Clive Owen were to see, in Richard's thing he's got, who should be nominated, Clive Owen, there's probably no chance, but then I would throw a party. I'll have a parade.
1: Uh, You know, and that's (laughs) the funny thing, is like the, the, the way the Emmys work Obviously, the Oscars it's it's a different crop every year, but the Emmys you know we have repeat customers where they just kind of find their shows and then they're like in, they're in the Emmy voters are in the tank for those shows and then they don't they forget their other shows you know it's like the Nick is such a great it's a Steven Soderbergh production I mean for for God's sake like and yet it, it's not going to get anything
2: who's I, that I lady on. Uh on Downton Abbey, who gets nominated every... Joanna Froggitt. She I don't... Anna.
1: Joanna Froggitt. Why?
2: I don't get it. She seems very nice. I think it's because nice. character...
0: There was that like sexual assault plot line yeah. a couple seasons ago. That, that was part of it.
2: And it's just That's, once you get and, on and their radar. And so she's radar. had like
0: the most sort of the meatiest role on that show. And I don't know why that show gets, you know, as much love as it does. This is his last season, so it might it might get some things. I would be interested to see if Louis C.K.'s show Horse and Pete, which is like, you know, we t- we've talked a lot in the last couple of years about streaming platforms taking over the Emmys and Golden Globes in terms of Netflix and Hulu and Amazon getting a lot of like eating up a lot of these award territory. But Horse and Pete was this very strange Louis C.K. project where he basically did, you know, several episodes of a play that he released on louisck.net uh, that you could pay for. So that's, you know, even one step further from traditional streaming platforms. It would be interesting to see if he gets any attention for that.
1: Yeah, so, there's some people on, on Gold Derby who are predicting Edie Falco will get a nomination for Horace and Pete, but I, I haven't and seen And I've seen it, Alan so,
0: Alda, too. The yeah, people really responded yeah. to that. I, I don't know. I, it might it might be overlooked entirely, in fa- you know, and then Mr. Robot might be everywhere. I, it's, it's sort of... <laughs> you're so right that they pick their shows and they're like, these are the shows. These are the shows that we will recognize and we won't acknowledge other shows. It's very interesting. And they're not, not, not necessarily by any metric the best show. So I'm going
2: to take a flying guess here and say Mr. Robot is not a TV Academy show. I could be wrong.
0: I would think that too, but I've seen it on a lot of predictions that Rami yeah. Malek and Mr. Robot, you know, they, they won the Golden Globe and we know that the Golden Globes are very erratic, but like, right? They won. They did. Rami yeah. M- won and, and Mr. Robot won. Yeah. Uh, so I've seen a lot of predictions on the in the Emmy category for that.
2: I'm okay. Pull my stool up to the bar at horse and peace. Sometimes I wonder why do we tear ourselves to pieces? I just Or maybe I just need a drink at Horace and oh.
0: horse and
2: peace. Well, for our final segment, guys, we're going to go back to. 1985. I don't know if either of you was alive yeah. or what. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You were we were alive. both alive. Yeah. Okay. It was the year that Ghostbusters uh, was up for two Oscars, visual effects and original song. And this original song category was kind of amazing. Yeah. Uh, the winner, I had no idea, by the way, that this was a song from a movie, was I Just Called to Say I Love You by Stevie Wonder from
1: The Woman in Red. A Kelly Le Rock and I believe Gene Wilder film, which like yes. I, don't, I only knew that because I looked it up before we recorded.
2: I mean, that was a yeah. moment yeah. when they were hot stuff. Yeah. Against All Odds, which uh, thank, uh, helpfully in par Princey says, take a look at me now by Phil Collins in the film Against All Odds. Do we know anything about that movie? That
1: uh, no idea uh, James what that movie Woods was. and somebody else in it. Uh, who okay. Knows?
2: Yeah. 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 Wow. Footloose in Footloose, music and lyric by. Kenny Loggins and Dean Pitchford. Poor Dean, not as well remembered. (laughs) Ghostbusters in Ghostbusters Music and Lyrics by Ray Parker Jr. That was a big hit. And Let's Hear It for the Boy in Footloose Music and Lyrics by Tom Snow and Dean Pitchford. But who sang that? Somebody else sang that. Uh anyway, do we wanna relitigate this guys? Do we think Ghostbusters should have won or I mean, can you really give Ray Parker Jr. an Oscar over Stevie Wonder? I think it's probably a little hard.
1: Well, I mean <laughs> I think this song I just called to say I love you I think it's in the movie High Fidelity with John Cusack and Jack Black where uh, uh, this like stodgy middle-aged guy walks in and is like my daughter likes the song I just called to say I love you and Jack Black basically chases him out of the record store Um, (laughs) so that's not the most uh, highly respected of Stevie Wonder songs I mean I think if you look at this list quality wise and enduring quality I mean I think the Phil Collins song is sort of the best one take a look at me now wow
0: and I would give it to Footloose, like in terms of endurance, like I know it's more, it's a m- yeah. much more of a novelty song. I love that Phil Collins song, actually, but um <laughs> Footloose as like any time the opening bars play, people know you can now, now, see people now. wanting to do the Kevin Bacon dance. Like yeah. it's a thing, yep. Um, you know, so that just feels like. And and you know enduring and and, you know same is true for Ghostbusters. So maybe enduring novelty songs with the title of the film in the title of the song is not exactly Oscar material. But yeah, I'd give it to Footloose. Ghostbusters
2: is like a sonic like Donkey Kong machine. Like it's the most 1984 thing that ever existed. (laughs) Um, Whereas the other ones, I think, transcend a little bit. I wouldn't have been able to And then there's that
0: whole uh, Huey Lewis and the News controversy, right? That Ray Parker ripped it off from Huey Lewis. Wasn't there like a lawsuit about that? Oh,
1: yeah. I think there was some controversy there. So embroiled in controversy. Um, (laughs) I have to to say about the Footloose songs, if either of you were my roommate in in the summer of 2007, I believe it was... (laughs) There was a guy named Dove Man, a musician who recorded, re-recorded the entirety of the Footloose soundtrack, but did it as like slow, sad bastard songs. Mm. Which is my, which is totally my up my alley.
2: <laughs> I listened to
1: this thing, particularly the covers of Footloose and Let's Hear It for the Boy, on repeat for an entire summer. To the fact that my roommate almost threw my computer out the window, she was like, "I can't." <laughs> <laughs> so I have a sentimental preference for those Aren't... songs, but, um, and, and they actually, if they can be remade as Sad Bastard songs, maybe that actually is a testament to their quality as songs. So, yeah. but I think they kind of split the vote. So I'm still going to go for the Collins.
2: Well, Denise Williams, uh, is the, the vocalist on, is the artist on Let's Hear it For The Boy. Right. Number one single. It's a beautiful song. Yeah, it's
0: a great song. And there's also "Holding Out for Hero," right? Yeah. Is it was a great uh, soundtrack. Right.
1: Yeah. If they were, if we were giving awards to best soundtrack in total, that would win. Yes. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's kind of amazing that it had two. Like, when's the last time that that a film had two songs nominated?
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it, that wasn't little... like a Disney musical or something. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> I just think if you get
2: an opportunity to give Stevie Wonder an Oscar, you give Stevie, you Stevie Wonder it. an Oscar. <laughs> I just yeah, don't. Fair. I just yeah. can't really. I can't yeah. complain about this. That's fair.
0: You're saying Oscar winner Kenny Loggins doesn't have the same ring
2: to it. Oscar winner, <laughs> yeah, and Phil Collins. Uh, no, Kenny Loggins. I kind of would be great if Kenny Loggins. Kenny Loggins, if he had an Oscar, would definitely like take it with him everywhere he went. Like he, it would be on the piano, oh, you know, or sure. the drum set every yeah. time he performed. Yeah. That. Just well, that does it for this week's Little Gold Men. Thank you very much for listening, and please remember to rate and review us on iTunes. You can find us all writing about award season and all kinds of other stuff at vanityfair.com. This episode was produced by Sam Dingman and edited by Tim Einenkel. And thanks to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. And the hottest take on the future of American democracy award goes to Joanna Robinson.
0: I'd rather see it end than go downhill.
2: Everybody, I'm entertainment journalist Drew Taylor. And I'm filmmaker Charles Hood, and we host Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast. But right now we're about to launch our first ever universe expanding miniseries. That's right, get ready for Light the Fuse Presents the Directors. We'll speak to filmmakers who have made iconic paramount movies and get them to open up in a way that only we can. That's right. Listen to Light the Fuse Presents the Directors wherever you get your podcasts.